0: Hello, and welcome to SoundingTheLight.com, the place where you can connect to real people, real stories, real talk. My name is Tara Tucker. I am so glad to have you here. I am bringing you another great interview today with Tabitha Eck from the Eugene Mission. It's been a little while since I have put up a podcast. (laughs) My family and I were gone for just about a month taking a trek around the country Part of it was for a uh, special family celebration. My parents celebrated their 50th anniversary, so we drove out there across the United States to go spend some time with them. And also, my husband had a job up in the northeastern part of the country, so we just decided to make a, a little summer vacation out of it for our family. So we packed up our clothes and took our kiddos and went off in the truck and took a tour of the country. My husband and I love to take drives. It's one of the things that we do to uh, just connect with each other and see the beautiful things that are out the window and whenever we can stop and find a place to take a hike, kind of connect with the land. Um, Such a great experience. I don't know (laughs) if the kids thought it was such a great experience being in the back of the truck with each other uh, for hours and hours every day, you know, with their pillows and blankets and videos and drawings and books and other things that they could find to do. Uh, But honestly, they did pretty darn well for a a three-week trip in the truck. So it was a great time. It was great to see my folks, and it was great to see new parts of the country that I hadn't experienced before. But there is just something about pulling up in your own driveway and getting back into the routine of life. That just feels so good. It was good to be home. So my guest for today is Tabitha Eck, and she is the Director of Strategic Operations and Resources at the Eugene Mission. And the Eugene Mission is a place where people who have really been hit hard in life and don't know where else to go, they can go there and find necessities, uh, you know, food and shelter and clothes. But it also goes beyond that into helping the ones who are wanting to, you know, find their feet in life and in the world uh, and maybe even in the work world. It connects them with places that maybe they can find work, uh, you know, take them to doctor's appointments, just anything that these people need. That is what the Eugene mission is there for. I met Tabitha. uh, I guess I've known her for a little over a year now. I started volunteering at the mission uh, about a year ago and I take my daughter there and sometimes my son, he actually really likes going because when he goes, You know, we go for a couple of hours, and we are the ones who prepare the food for dinner. Whatever it is that they have for us to cut up, we cut up. Uh, But it gives my son the opportunity. You know, as a 9-year-old, he gets a big knife, and he gets to cut cake (laughs) to serve for dessert or whatever. So um, he enjoys the time that he gets to go. And my daughter as well. It's been a really enriching time for us to just go and be able to help people who are in need around us. So I really liked talking with Tabitha because she just has a very refreshing perspective on what it is that she does and what the mission does and what it's there for. You know, homelessness is such an issue across the United States, and a lot of us don't know how to deal with it. We, You know, we see people on the side of the street, And we don't know how to speak to them. We don't know what they need. Sometimes we don't even know how to look at them as another human being. And so to be able to talk to Tabitha, hear her perspective, you know, and her experiences was very enlightening. And I hope that you take the time to listen to the entire interview. If you have ever been interested in learning how to connect to be a part of an organization that is reaching out and helping this uh, issue, this is just a very good and informative interview that you might get some very useful information out of. Uh, By the way, (laughs) during the interview, we were sitting out in this beautiful little garden area that they have been working on for the past few years for um, the women's side of the uh, mission. But if you're sitting outside, you also get some outside noises. So, you know, there are some pops and crackles in the first few minutes of the interview and they go away. But, uh, you know, then I think we get a train and some cars. <laughs> so, anyway, you'll at least feel like you were sitting out in that little garden with us. I hope you enjoy this interview with Tabitha Eck from the Eugene Mission. Hello, Hello. Tabitha. Hi. And welcome <laughs> to Sounding the Light. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this. I'm so glad that you got to do this. I know you're, I'm sure you're like crazy busy in there.
1: It's every day. So (laughs) you just manage it.
0: Yes. There's a good thing to knowing how to manage a lot of busyness and into the time that you have. And not taking it home with you, I'm sure. Or taking it home with you and working Mm. things out. That's a good,
1: that's a really good comment. Because I actually work with my husband in this work and we've actually met and married in a workplace. So we've always worked together. Really? So finding that work-home life balance is a constant learning curve wow, for us. Wow, I bet it is. So turning off work so you can return to life with your family and all that stuff that happens when you're not at work, mm-hmm. like real life, right? Yeah. <laughs> Man. But at the same time, we, we rub each other in a way that make each other better. So if we don't take those moments to talk about work, we're missing out on opportunities. Yeah. I don't think anyone is born knowing how knowing good boundaries. That's kind of one of those key words, right? Boundaries. <laughs> Where do you end and the next person begin? Mm-hmm. And I'd say a list of volunteers and I'd tell them, when I tell them, I'm still struggling with this, but you, you can't take the weight of what we do here home with you mm-hmm. or you won't be a whole enough person to be who you need to be to your family. And this is probably the hardest, I would say, for those volunteers to end up working in moms and kids hmm. or with a very elderly population because you, you're working with this human being in such need and you're looking at them like, why are you here? Hmm. Can I not just take you home with me? And you can't. I'm very blunt about this with my volunteers is you can't take this home literally please don't take <laughs> humans home with you <laughs> but secondarily how do you come and help and be a part of this work but then go home and be a whole you so it's a constant learning curve i'm four years into this i'm still working on it so wow. like my work here at the eugene mission has made me a better wife a better mom hmm. and a better community member. It forces you to look at pieces of yourself I'm sure that you does. may have never brought out into the light, except for there is there is absolute transparency at mm-hmm. the level of humanity. Hustle aside, <laughs> there is absolute transparency between humans at this level of survival. Mm-hmm. And those are our humans are almost always surviving in some capacity. Mm-hmm. So for you as the practitioner or the helper or the person in the ministry coming into that environment, you have to be as real as possible. There is no fake. There's no facade that you can put on and meet that human where they are. You have to be the realest you possible. Wow. So that means you have to deal with some of that stuff inside you. Yeah. Well,
0: and America is kind of known for, you know, let's put up our facade and go to our work and be professional. And we're going to leave our, you know, this at home. And and funny enough, that actually gets very heavy as well.
1: The Um, pretend. Yes. And and then people
0: hardly know who the real them is because there's so many layers of these facades on the outside so i'm
1: sure in a way it's it's heavy to to be real with yourself but in a way it's also probably very refreshing absolutely the learning curve is not only for how to to meet the humans that we have here where they're at but the learning curve is, is how do you become the best you in this environment And my encouragement for most folks coming into this work is that your time in this work is gonna be limited. Mm. There's very, very few people that are called to this level of heaviness, Mm. this level of need for a lifetime. Most people are called to it for a couple years at a time and then they go and they do something else. For us here at the Eugene Mission, one of the hardest pieces of the work that we do is that we're at the end of the pipe. Like we're not getting to the kids before trauma happens and they end up here. We're getting folks that have been rung to the ringer. Every safety net is gone. Mm -hmm. Choices, obstacles, addictions, illnesses, and this is their only option. So this can be a very, very hard work. And ultimately people can only do it for a certain amount of time. But hopefully what this does is inspires you to get to the other end of the pipe. Get to the kids get to those foster kids, to those destroyed families, to that medically or mentally hurt individual before a mission is the only place for them to go for safe shelter. So
0: tell me a little bit about the Eugene Mission and what it does.
1: The Eugene Mission is an emergency shelter here in Lane County. In fact, we're the only emergency shelter um, short of those super cold nights when the Egan Center open mm, up, yeah. we're the only entity that you could come to. And if we've got a bed and you're safe to come inside, you can access that bed today. So across the nation, there's one day where we go out and try and count every homeless person we can oh find. My goodness. It, they've only been doing it for a couple years, but it determines all the funding at these federal okay. and state and local levels. We are not a part of that funding. Um, as a faith-based organization, we are, it's community funding people are what make the mission run there aren't government monies but all those services that serve a homeless population that are federally funded it's all based on this one day count and every year it goes up and this year Mm. it was a steep steep increase and forgive me i don't have the numbers in front of me but it's a 2019 point in time count everything is only growing Mm. those experiencing mental illness those experiencing Addiction, number of veterans, number of children, Mm -hmm. number of women, number of elderly, all of the numbers are rising.
0: And Eugene was already high to begin with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So why would that be? If you think about all the factors that would result in a person becoming homeless, the breakdown of support systems, mental illness, access to services for mental illness, health... Um, addiction, recovery programs, I'm sure uh, support of any kind. Cost of living, getting cost more of living, cost expensive. Of housing yes. in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, it's extraordinary, and none of those things are, are better. Mm-hmm. So what that does, and especially when the economy chunks down, every time the economy kind of drops, all those folks on the, the lower rungs that were hanging on by that half a paycheck or whatnot, are now suddenly homeless. Actually, I read a report last, um, last week about Utah and Utah's kind of like the yay they did it with homelessness. Mm. And it comes to come to find out there's more unsheltered people than ever before. While they were focusing on their veterans and their families, their unsheltered adult population doubled. Oh my. Half of those folks interviewed were homeless for the first time. So this isn't this and the point of this article was that that the everything that we're talking about is a national issue. Like you and I and Eugene Mission can't fix the cost of housing in Lane county, much less our nation. Mm -hmm. We can't fix access to medical or mental care. We can't fix the need for recovery services in our community. You know, Oregon is 50th on the list when it comes to addiction recovery. As far as access and programs, we are 50th on the list of states when it comes to addiction. And according to that report in 2018, we sheltered a quarter of all the homeless in the community.
0: And you don't have anybody standing at the door being like, no, you can't come in," <laughs> no. right? I mean, nope, like people nope. are
1: They're, uh, encouraged th- to come. They are encouraged. We have uh, different tiers of services. Um, so we, as the only emergency shelter in our community, we're also not a low barrier shelter. So there is a drug and alcohol requirement mm-hmm. for our shelter. You have to be drug and alcohol free for the safety of those humans that we're sheltering, mm-hmm. hundreds. And we can sleep up to 400 humans a night. Wow. Communal dorms. Um, so that drug and alcohol piece is essential for the safety piece. And honestly, you you do need to get clean. You have to find that clarity of body and thought to make any choices for yourself. Mm-hmm. But we also extend that handout for folks that maybe aren't ready for... Access shelter, but maybe they want meals and bathrooms, showers, clothing. So those day services are provided to anyone. The rule of thumb is you've got to be safe, mm-hmm. but there's no drug and alcohol tests for that. And so we have those tiers, and then then our tightest, most inmost tier is our life change program. So that is an 18 month program specifically designed to address the addiction piece.
0: Which I've actually met a couple of the people yes. and worked with for a little while. A couple of the people that had gone through that. And they were just, they were lovely It's just so people. fun to hear,
1: fun is the wrong word, but it is so impactful to hear their stories and to see their progress. Yeah. So for volunteers that are in the kitchen consistently, and they get to see that person come from day one, where maybe their substances haven't even cleared fully from their systems, <laughs> to that, mm. that man or that woman being ready to head out into the world and be a successful community member.
0: The The mission is such a... Like you said, it's got so many levels, so many tiers, and it helps so many different kinds of people. And it's it's lovely to see. I know that there is a lot of non-success stories, um, people that are probably going to be in their situation for a very long time. But all the more, it's lovely to see the stories where they come through and they are ready to go out into the world and put their feet on the ground. Absolutely, and it's beautiful.
1: We grab those stories when we we can when we see them and when we find them because as the lowest tier of services in our community, we don't always get to see that happy ending. One of the biggest things we do for for our guests when they're sheltering with us, is our intent, we're stabilizing them from whatever situation they're coming from. So with stabilization, you find clarity. And then you can start to make choices and access resources. But what we do at that point with our folks is, it's about how do we get you out of here? And how we get you out of here is connecting you out there Mm -hmm. to other organizations, Mm -hmm. not us is what we have found is if folks leave us without support, they tend to come right back. Mm-hmm. Whatever it was that resulted in them experiencing homelessness, being unsheltered, didn't get fixed. And so they end up coming back here. The only successes we have found are when there's relational pieces and you're, you're getting that person connected to other human beings, other support systems. And then when they leave us, there's this safety net that carries yes. through with them. So it's really cool to be a part of that. Wow. The number of women in entering homelessness is staggering. Right now we serve about five to one. Five men spend the night with us for every one woman. That's pretty nationally about the ratio, but our industry is saying over this next decade those numbers will equalize. So like places in California have already shrunk three to one ratio. Wow. Well, and if you think about everything that can end a person in homelessness, it's just as true for me as it is for a man. So while we don't feel that yet, women tend to have a lot more safety nets, a lot more couch surfing happens, other commodities Mm -hmm. to trade for right or for wrong. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen that yet, but it's rising. Our women's center is full far more often than our men's center is, and there's fewer beds. Mm -hmm. The space was not built to serve. The Eugene mission was built. Missions across the nation were built to serve that human, an able-bodied, able-minded man traveling the country for work only last couple of decades did we add services for women and even more recently services for families.
0: Mm.
1: So we're only seeing a growing need. So it's this constant battle. The need is so great. What can we do? Yeah. we can't fix the ocean, but can we help that person Mm -hmm. right there? Mm -hmm. And the greatest successes have come for us when it's a human connecting with another human, not any brilliant program or wonderful thing like that. It's me as a human connecting with you as a human and encouraging you, listening to you, actually seeing you as another human being. And that is where we have found the most success for guests moving on.
0: Hmm. I know that people feel a lot less hopeful if they feel isolated, uncared for, invisible, yeah. and you know, besides all the mental health and the drug, drug addiction that mm-hmm. people are dealing with. But if there's at least somebody in their court and they feel like they can kind of offload yeah. and have somebody truly listen to them and truly hold out a helping hand. Yeah. So how many people would you say that you feed every day?
1: Anywhere from eight hundred twelve to 1,200 meals come out of our kitchen every day.
0: And you guys do breakfast, lunch, and breakfast, dinner? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And where do you get
1: all of this (laughs) food to feed that is awesome (laughs) is that just like we don't receive any federal monies to shelter or clothe folks we don't receive any monies to feed folks that is all community donations wow so upwards of 1200 meals a day we tried to do the math what that would be in a, a month but the um it's all community donations it's like iron chef every day because you don't know what magical ingredients (laughs) are gonna come in. And we have drivers that go out, volunteers, they pick up from the stores, dated, Mm. post-dated food, and they bring it here. We've got anyone from the community from seven to seven, seven days a week can bring their leftover church barbecue. Um, Mm. We've got super couponers that go Mm. out and super coupon for us. But all of those things can come into our kitchens and our kitchen staff, seriously, it's like Iron Chef. What are we making today? (laughs) But they do it, his budget's like a thousand bucks a month. And he hardly touches it. It's for things like um, when people donate livestock to us, mm. there's costs associated with butchering and cutting and wrapping. Things like plastic and foil and goodness that they yeah. get donated. But the food that comes in our doors is tremendous. And our staff in that space have such a culinary background. We're talking decades, decades of culinary experience. It is good tasting nutritious food (laughs) salad fruit the veggies the starch the protein in it it's fun to see probably my biggest volunteer team as well about a 100 folks involved wow i didn't realize it was that big it's huge it's huge well you got the drivers you got the choppers you Uh got the warehouse and then three meals a day wow seven days a week
0: yeah i love now going into a store like uh (laughs) Trader Joe's, yes. they, I think, are, are one of your normals. <laughs> yes,
1: they're they amazing. They've actually changed their language internally to refer to the food that comes to us rather than waste. Mm. It's for the Eugene mission. Mm-hmm. Because retail stores, you know, just have their labels and stuff. But Trader Joe's give us, gives us upwards of $900,000 in product. It's that's amazing. amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. And that's one store. That's one store. I wish every store would mm-hmm. um, think to use their quote-unquote waste In those ways, but Trader Joe's is on top of it.
0: So do you find that you have a lot of people who are skeptical and, oh, you know, those homeless people, they could better themselves Mm -hmm. and, you know, they don't have to be like this. How do you, when you come across that,
1: how do you deal with that? How do I deal with that? There is this running kind of statement that why don't you just go get a job or Mm -hmm. all they need is a job. And while there might be a percentage of the folks we serve or don't even come to us, a percentage of the population we're talking to, employment is what they need, there's a huge percentage for which that is not their primary need and even a reality in their world. So I actually took our entire Women's Center staff on a tour of the Men's Center just last month. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were sheltering 62 women at that time and I asked that staff of the 62 women that we're sheltering, how many of them is employment what they need to focus on and is going to be their ticket out. And they unanimously said two of the mm. 62 women that we are sheltering right now, or were at that wow. time, that is what they need to be focusing on. Our female population, we've found um, equality aside, we do treat men and women differently. So women do have a lot more safety nets.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It takes a lot for the Eugene Mission, a mission to be the only option of shelter for a woman. So that means there's nothing left. There's no safety nets. So our female population tends to be older Mm. and more physically and mentally fragile than their male counterparts. There's a lot of workers on the men's side we found and there's other obstacles to them moving out of the mission. Mm -hmm. It's not employment, they can get the jobs. There's Mm -hmm. other stuff going on. (laughs) For our ladies though, so many of them are 50 plus and it's not about employment at that point. And there's this desperate point of time where you're too young access and social security or any of that but you're too old and medically and mentally fragile Mm -hmm. to be employed there's such a small percentage Mm -hmm. Um, I do a ton of public tours anyone can come through and see what we do here and get that deeper understanding like the conversation we're having right now this is all stuff I'll cover on those tours so anyone who wants to (laughs) understand like, what am I even seeing what is happening oh there's this going on I'm kind of getting it now Yeah, and then the last question is, well, what can I do? So that's where the volunteer piece comes in so strongly is what can any one of us do? Not much. Mm -hmm. We're one person in an ocean of need, but together we got a rescue ship. We didn't fix the ocean, but we're, we're on a mission. Little M, right? (laughs) And we're, (laughs) we're pulling people out of the water. And maybe some of them want to just jump right back in the water. Mm -hmm. or maybe a party boat goes by or whatever else is going on, but what's our job? Our job is to meet that person who's suffering, stabilize them, and get them to a safe spot. Ultimately, we're not gonna be their house. We can't be their support system, but can we help you stabilize and find safety?
0: So what inspired you to come here?
1: That's a great question. It wasn't intentional on my part. Really? It was, the path was laid. (laughs) (laughs) And it was the obvious thing to do, um, given what my skill set as what the mission needs and needed and what my situation was at the time. My husband and I actually had just sold a business and he, um, we didn't know what we were gonna do. Mm. I remember actually the day after we sold that business and we walked away sitting on the tailgate of our truck in the Target parking lot, brain dead, almost. I don't know if you've ever felt the fogginess of what comes after, like sheer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then the next day, you've, you've got nothing, it's foggy. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there and we have no idea what we're gonna do, mm-hmm. no idea. But within a couple of weeks, a position had opened up here at the mission. Um, for kitchen fella. And so my husband started volunteering here and then was hired on for that position. And it was a perfect fit for him. He loves food and he loves people. So here we have hundreds of people in need and food. Mm-hmm. All the food you could ever want, actually, <laughs> to play with. Uh-huh. And then I started volunteering and doing different things. And about a year after that, I went full-time marketing in the business world. But about a year after we sold that business, a position opened up here that was a really good fit for me. And it was that volunteer coordination. So my background was uh, business and event coordination and marketing, and somehow all of those fit really, really well into what it takes to wrangle humans Mm. for the good of our organization here. Mm -hmm. It just was a beautiful translation of the skills that I developed in the business world. What would that mean at a nonprofit level? Mm. So everything that I have ever done professionally on the business end has come into play here at the nonprofit end. Everything, <laughs> even things I studied in college that I never thought I would use, I have been able to use here at the mission in a variety of ways. That's interesting. It's really funny. So it, was, it wasn't a magical inspiration. There was no like voice from above <laughs> saying, go that way. It was like, <laughs> oh, there's the next step and mm. there's the next step and there's the next step. And to the point where we, um, Marshall and I actually were here, the timing had to, timing is beyond us, right? but you, i don't know if you know we suffered a kitchen fire in 2016.
0: yes i did know that the
1: entire kitchen burned down there was um it reminds me so much of the esther story the esther story is so much in my head these days because the line for such a time as this mm. where you don't know what you're being prepared for you don't know why you're being led here and you're in this position and there's comes this moment in time we're like oh that's why you told me <laughs> to go here. So there was this moment in time where our entire kitchen shut down. We're doing, what, 1,200 meals a day. Wow. We, still? Even, uh, even We then, were a little bit you? lower than, so I'll okay. say 1,000. We're doing 1,000 meals a oh day. Oh my gosh, that's then, still pretty amazing. <laughs> yes, and we had to set up a satellite kitchen behind another warehouse. We brought in a huge kitchen truck like we'd use in fire season to cook for firefighters. And for six months while our kitchen was being rebuilt, we served out of the back of a warehouse in a kitchen truck, wow. hundreds of people a day. Wow! During that time period, my role shifted almost exclusively to the kitchen. That's I have a ton of background in restaurants. And then of course my husband was in place and our facilities director is astounding. It was not chance that the three of us were in place mm. at that time to weather mm. what the mission weathered at that time. And I feel the same is true of our, our position right now as an organization. The humans we have in place, the new leadership that came on in December, the staff changes, all of this, for such a time as this, mm-hmm. we spoke already about the increase, only seeing growth in need and less and less resources available. Well, for such a time as this, the mission has been positioned. Mm -hmm. We've gone through this refining process to the point where we are a nimble organization. As a community-funded organization, we don't have government dollars or anyone saying, do this, do this, do this. Yeah, We are looking for that. That wisdom and overall guidance of how do we do this? This thing that nobody does. <laughs> like nobody's got homelessness figured out, right? Oh, nobody's right. got this figured so you're out.
0: You're kind of forging the way and
1: Absolutely. taking the machete
0: and breaking Every four down to the vines. Five <laughs>
1: years, there's like a okay, we've got the answer, and so there'll be this trend, and then mm. everyone will jump on board, and then we'll be like, oh crap, it didn't work. Mm. What do we do now? And so the mission is several years ahead of some of the things that people are just trying for the first time and in our community that heightened need and awareness this last, um, to have almost 100 individuals camping on City Hall last year. Wow. That has never happened before. But it also was this turning point where you can't ignore that Goodness. as a community. Yeah. And so we're, as a community, we've never had such a heightened awareness of homelessness. The needs are so great and the danger here is that our compassion will start to erode. We're sitting right
0: now in the middle of a garden. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm looking at fruit trees and grapevines and flowers. I see some roses and I have no idea. Those those are beautiful. I see some
1: flowers coming up over there.
0: So what is this? What is this going to be? I see it's going to be formed into something amazing.
1: This has been, I would say five to seven years in the making Um, This is our hope garden. It's a sanctuary adjacent to our women's center. The reality of living in community with a lot of other human beings is there's not much peace and quiet. (laughs) It's communal dorms. So where do you go? Where is there peace to be found? So the intent with this space, and it's not fully formed yet, but the intent with this hope garden this sanctuary is that there would be a way to get away from that communal space and Mm -hmm. find your own peace. And so what's missing in this space right now is those kind of secret sitting areas, covered Mm -hmm. gazebos, places for people, prayer closets, places for people to be alone, to be in the middle of this beauty and this nature. But the work, like I said, five to seven years in the making, the fruit trees you see here, Gosh, I think we might actually get a crop out of them this year. They that didn't would let be them, really cool. They didn't let it happen last year. You're supposed to wait a certain number of years and not let. Yeah, them I think fruit. like three to five or something. Yeah, but these this was a nursery, and forgive me, I don't remember the name, but they spent years cultivating these. My it's a special grafting of heirloom varietals of soft fruits, and so the intent was not only would this be a place for a, a gal to escape to to find that peace. The hope is that we can engage our women in in this space Mm -hmm. in new ways. Think of the health and wellness found in, not just the beauty, but the work of tilling the
0: soil. Yes, and feeling like whatever is growing is growing because you
1: helped it to grow.
0: Absolutely. There's a satisfaction in that. Absolutely.
1: So we have um, every effort that we attempt to do, aside from the safety piece. Safety and sanitation, you gotta take care of those pieces. But aside from the necessities of how we feed and clothe and house everybody, Everything else is focused on wellness wheels like what wheel can we get turning Mm -hmm. that's gonna help somebody and it's so different for everyone So almost all role volunteer roles start with service, but out of that service comes new opportunities So actually last week a new effort started for the very first time Got two volunteers Jeff and Maria who have been very active in the men's center with activities and they for the first time did a walk down to the rose garden.
0: No way, the one on the
1: river. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love Mm -hmm. it. They got eight gentlemen to go with them. (laughs) (laughs) For first time effort, that's actually really brilliant. Uh Uh, But over the course of the walk, and this goes back to that person to person connection. But over the course of this walk with opportunity for conversation and fellowship and companionship, Hmm. meaningful conversation happens. And there was a chance to engage with a young man who'd only been at the mission for one day. 28 years old. Hmm fully addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. And through the course of that walk and conversation with Jeff and Maria, he like, I don't want this. I, I want to get clean, I want, how do I do this? And they were able to take him to Buckley, hourly de- detox space here in Eugene, walk him through the check-in process. Oh my goodness,
0: oh That wow. moment would
1: not have happened Yeah, without a walk down to the garden. And a a healthy human being engaging with that person and asking questions and drawing out that conversation and being healthy enough themselves to know how to manage that conversation. So it always, always, always comes down to a a human connection. And almost all my volunteer roles, I'd say all my volunteer roles here are so practical. You're, You're chopping, you're driving, you're handing out the towels. But most of the time, work aside, it's gotta be done. (laughs) But most of the time, those are excuses to engage with our guest population in a healthy way and be maybe the only person that looks them in the Mm. eye that day as you're putting food on their plate or handing them a towel or aspirin or whatever so really powerful moments come out of those human connections so wellness wheels what how many more excuses can we get going (laughs) that we know are healthy we Mm -hmm. know it's healthy to walk we know it's healthy to eat healthy we know it's healthy to have artistic expression we know it's healthy to garden can we get these wheels turning and what spark is that going to get out of those humans so
0: when you first started working here you say a lot that there's a learning curve i know that with all of your like volunteer classes (laughs) one of the first things that you say is there is a learning curve to all of this because it's so overwhelming and it is you know somebody coming from say a, a point where they've never had to deal with you know somebody who is mentally ill or who is drug addicted when you first started did you feel equipped you know, emotionally in that, or was there some sort of trepidation or fear or, you know, how, how do I even go about this? How do I look those people in the face mm-hmm. and look at them as people as opposed to, oh, you know, they're out on their luck or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, mm-hmm. how did you handle That's that?
1: That's a really good question. And I'm trying to think, there was definitely a learning curve, but I never had the fear that is often spoken of. If um, with incoming volunteers or people who just mention because we do speaking stuff outside of the mission and we're engaging with the community not on our campus Mm -hmm. and we hear often there is that that fear of our human being. I don't know why but for whatever reason I did not have that fear. It could be that my husband is such an outgoing individual, (laughs) he engaged with with every human you can imagine in any different circumstance. So he he is the dude that bought drinks for the guys on the corner <laughs> um, <laughs> on Christmas or whatever. So I've I've always had that, I guess that exposure. The mental illness was probably the hardest piece, and it wasn't a fear of what would be done. So much is um, what can I do? Hmm. I was not equipped, and the reality is is. Nobody is. We mm-hmm. I even mean, go to school all day long, mm-hmm. all day long, for years and years and years and have great information and great tools, but every human is different. And the world that we have here, that's not a piece that is going to be fixed at this level. What someone with a significant mental illness needs is a stability beyond what we have here and they need years of intensive yeah. processing, self-reflection, a, a therapist, like potentially medications, like why we we might be able to connect you at a crisis level and like get you that, what you need right mm-hmm. the second, we're ultimately not a solution to mental illness. And so that was the learning curve for me because I'm a fixer. Mm. We all are, whether mm-hmm. we admit it or not, we're all mm-hmm. fixers, but I am a very solution-based individual, so to to see and engage with human beings and there to be absolutely no solution, I can't fix this. That was probably the biggest learning curve for me, and I kind of preach it in my volunteer orientations, because we all are fixers, and if you're coming to the Eugene Mission to volunteer, it's because you you care. So how do you manage that fixer part of yourself in the context of a problem you can't fix? So that was the learning curve for me, and I've said it too many times already, is getting beyond looking at the giant, giant, giant ocean and coming down to the human in front of me. I can't fix you, but can I encourage you? Can I be a seed? Can I plant a seed? Mm -hmm. Can I engage you in a healthy way that helps you? I can't fix you. I can't save you. You and only you can make choices. I can't control access to services either. But what can I do for you? And the one person at a time was the hardest learning curve. Mm. Managing your expectations. You can't come into this work with the expectation of, I'm gonna save the world. <laughs> or even an expectation mm. that someone's gonna look at you like, without you, I wouldn't have done this. <laughs> That does happen. It absolutely does happen. And almost every volunteer I engage with says they get more out of their volunteer experience than they give. Mm. But if you come in with that expectation, it'll be just disappointment. You haven't done enough. You're not enough. And it can't ever be about you. It can't. It has to be about the human in front of you. And is that person enough? Is the word of encouragement to that person is the hello to that person, the remembering that person's ancient cat's name, <laughs> like those? I promise have finite mm. and infinite positive impact on those human beings. But you have the learning curve is, is finding that as your criteria rather than this. Yes, we saved the world and we're finished. Yes, <laughs> this world will never be <laughs> finished. The word finished thing, that. like because we do,
0: <laughs> we find satisfaction in yes. having a job that is finished but it's like the laundry to me, you know? It's like, like, that's why I like doing what I do with like video and stuff, because Mm. once I'm done with it, it's like a finished project. Oh, I finished that. This is great. I can put this away and start on something new, but something like laundry, you know, it just like goes on and on and you wash this load and then there's another one. And then, you know, a day later, there's even a whole ton more and I'm I'm sure that
1: that's actually a really good analogy because then you'll the socks aren't matched and then there's dirty stuff over here and kids come on guys
0: yes and then you see more and more and more things that need to be done outside of just the (laughs) laundry so then it's just like you get
1: distracted by the dishes or the floor
0: and then you have to sit there for some time and just be like I don't even know where to begin here so you you know having this constant emphasis on just do what's in front of you, just reach your hand out to the person that's in front of you, that's huge.
1: It really is huge. And this isn't a good fit for everyone, Mm -hmm. it's really not. And that's totally okay. Not everyone has to come and, yeah, you know, serve at the Eugene Mission, but they have to grasp that understanding. And whatever it takes, I don't, it's gonna be different for everyone, whatever it takes for you as a community member to resolve that fear there there's wisdom in in not putting yourself into dangerous situations like you no know, going down dark alleys mm-hmm. and talking to people <laughs> um but there is fear gets in the way like if we if we allowed fear to rule we did here we would close our doors and let mm-hmm. maybe 50 people in like, if we allowed fear to rule mm-hmm. what we do here, that's that's what this would be. It'd be a closed thing that nobody could get into until we knew exactly who you were and what you were going to do in this space and what you need, and there's no room for fear. And that's that's what we as staff here at the Eugene Mission are constantly striving to do. What's the next step? Mm-hmm. And where we do find that we have to make our own satisfaction because the job done, we have to find pieces of what mm-hmm. we do that we can feel done. Yes. And that is a great sense of satisfaction. We've also tried in this last couple of months um, to change how we quantify success. Hmm. So if you're only measuring, say, the number of humans that got into a home and got a job, and ignore all this other stuff. Like how many people got to a doctor's appointment?
0: Hmm. How many
1: people engaged in the art class? How many people did we drive to social security? How many people went on that walk to the Rose Garden? exactly. (laughs) If we're only measuring these two or three big things Hmm. and not all of this stuff, we're gonna feel like we're not doing a good job. So again, learning curve. Part of that learning curve is grasping those little successes along the way we need that encouragement as practitioners and those mm-hmm. people in ministry. You have to see these little things and be like, yes, it's like three weeks of frustrating, but that one walk to the rose garden, that just made it right there. Mm-hmm. We never know what seed we planted here, what smile at the right time or word of encouragement at the right time was the game changer. And we won't even hear about it. Maybe never until we die. We get to hear that whole accounting. <laughs> but the hope is maybe three to five or 20 years down the line, that person will wrap back around and be able to hear how that one moment, that one food on that plate at that moment, that incug, that that note of encouragement, those shoes mm. in that moment was a seed that grew into a tree. So probably goes back to the frustrations of the the work that we do here is we don't get to see the happy endings oftentimes as that emergency level folks leave us it's yes awesome Mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily see that carried all the way through to the college announcements or the wedding invitations or the baby showers or we just got our new home they're like five layers gone from us so grasping those those moments those small moments of encouragement and knowing what you do does make a difference to that person right there it has to be enough if i had my way everyone in lane county would come through and take a tour Mm -hmm. of the eugene mission you don't have it's not like a buy-in to serve or anything but come through and see and hear and gain that deeper understanding don't stay in your corner with mm-hmm. your preformed thoughts and opinions. Come and see and hear, and you might find that there's a way for you to help.
0: You know what's interesting is I spent so many years being that person who was in my corner because mm. I, first of all, didn't wasn't completely aware of what was outside of my corner. Mm. And then when I was, it was like I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. I don't know how to reach out. I, I, you know, like there's so many yeah. things that are wrong and broken, and and what do I even do? Yeah. And uh, that's something actually that I want to really encourage people um, who do listen to this uh, to if if somebody is in that kind of a place where they want to help, but they don't even know where to begin, um, whether it's Eugene Mission here in this community or whether it's somebody off in Alabama who wants to help and they don't know how to get connected with an organization there that is helping people like, you know, where is your passion and, and find the place where you can get connected because you don't know you just don't know what yes. God can do with a seed you don't. so on well, anyway. that
1: multiplication effect the ocean right what can one person do mm-hmm. humans are amazing is that we multiply each other mm-hmm. I think that's so key because you get so discouraged when it's just you and yes. you look at the mountain of need and like what do I do So finding that organization. Yes,
0: and you had mentioned, you know, you wish that everybody in Lake County would just come and just listen to a presentation. Because otherwise it's this big unknown and, and, you know, okay, I've heard of Eugene Mission, but I don't know what they do. I don't know about homeless people and all this stuff. It's easy to just come and listen. Just come and listen. Yeah.
1: What was your experience as a volunteer? How do you see yourself different today than when you started?
0: I really know how to cut up vegetables. (laughs) The
1: constant thing in our world, as you know well. (laughs) Um,
0: But yeah, how it has changed me is first of all, knowing that it is easier than I thought to connect with a place that is reaching out. Mm. I look at homeless people different. Mm. um, And I haven't been in contact with very many of them, but honestly working with the guys, not realizing that a couple of them were from the program, and then, and then finding out that they were, and it was like, they're people, and they're not this faceless scary thing yeah. that I don't
1: understand. Yeah.
0: Um, and then, you know, coming every Monday and just knowing I am, I am doing, it's a little tiny drop. It's two hours in a week and I'm cutting up food, but this food is gonna get used, you know, for so many people and it's a big deal. Um, I wanted my horizons to be opened Mm. because we get so bogged down with what our lives are and what our path is, but then I come and I can leave my own thing and go do something that is helping people that God is in and using me for. I'm, you know, I'm being his hands as I'm chopping this apple, you know? Tabitha, I just thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. Um... This has been really just enlightening, and uh, thank you for being one of the ones that has reached out. That's beautiful.
1: Thank you, I appreciate that. And thank you for this opportunity. I have no idea who's gonna to hear these words and who's gonna be impacted by them, but we do our own sort of seed planting too. (laughs)
0: Thank you again so much for taking the time to listen to this today. I hope that it has helped you to know how to connect, to understand more about homelessness. And if you're in the Eugene area, if you do have a chance to go by the Eugene mission, take a tour, listen to Tabitha or one of the other volunteer coordinators speak, it's very informative. It's very inspiring. If you're interested in learning more about the mission or maybe how you can connect with it, uh, you can go to www.ugenemission.org. Also, if you're listening from the podcast page, I have the link here to it that will make it very easy for you to just click on and go straight there. Also, if you want to keep in touch with Sounding the Light, I would love for you to head on over to my Facebook page. Uh, there's also the link for that here on this site. Uh, stay in touch with us. See what's what's coming up and keep up to date. If there's anybody that you would like to hear from, if you have any questions, if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much again for hanging out with me today and uh, come back soon. I will have another great interview here on soundingthelight.com. Have a wonderful day.